0: geico presents sharing versus oversharing yesterday cliff sora
1: shared a top 10 list of hot fusion restaurants a vegan gluten-free mashup recipe and a
0: podcast featuring organic food trends
1: oh tmi i too much internet information that's oversharing cliff geico has something worth sharing with your friends like how on geico.com you could save hundreds on your car insurance update your policy and report a claim gluten-free info that's easy to swallow mm. geico 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more on car
0: insurance
2: Welcome to the Rodawire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Be sure to use the promo code RodaWire when you deposit on DraftKings.com, you can get a free contest entry today. All right, it is Monday, September 28th, 2015. The dust is settled for the most part uh, on week three in the NFL. I'm Nick Whalen. Here as always on Mondays with Rotowire's Derek Van Riper. Derek, we had an incident in the office this weekend. I wasn't in the office. I haven't haven't been here since Friday. But I came in this morning, uh, was going to use the microwave in our little kitchenette, and it is on the floor with a do not use fire hazard sign attached.
1: I've never seen this sign posted on a microwave before. Uh, Apparently, there was an incident over the weekend where somebody put something in the microwave. We don't know what that something was. I assume it was a sandwich wrapped in foil and or batteries, um, and unfortunately, the office didn't completely burn down, but the fire department was here. Uh, we've got some char marks on the carpet. And actually, if you need a visual, if you see the highlights of the Steelers Rams game, which was delayed for similar reasons, maybe someone put a, a foil wrap bagel in the microwave there too, um, there's like a, a carpet burn. It's just it's it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. i I have a pretty high success rate with microwaves. I am a perfect like, 1,743 for 1,743. Like, I've never I've never started a fire with a microwave before, which means statistically, I'm probably increasingly likely to create a fire with a microwave yes. accidentally. You do, yeah. I'm, I'm overdue. So I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't here Saturday, because that could have been me. That could have been my oatmeal that caught fire.
2: Right. Well, like I said, I went to use it this morning, and the inside is a wasteland. I don't know what... If it was a breakfast sandwich, like uh Roto-Wire's hockey editor, Mike Gay, who is... Uh, allegedly tied to the the microwave incident uh, claimed it was a sandwich it, it looks like something there was a serious explosion in there the inside is completely charred there's like yellow greasy substance <laughs> that all was over probably the inside once the well you know the, the little glass rotating plate that you set the food on is shattered like it's just it's in pieces next to the microwave so how hot did the contents of the
1: microwave get where it shattered for like
2: a half hour i don't know i did I have a lot of questions. Conveniently, Mike recently switched up his schedule, and he's not in the office on Mondays, so I'm a little suspicious about that for obvious reasons, but once he gets back in on Tuesday, maybe we'll bring him in on a, as a guest on the Wednesday pod yeah. with Mike, uh, Mike Doria, and we can finally get to the bottom of this.
1: I really wanted to have him on as a guest today, so I'm disappointed that the schedule changes in effect. Yeah, He's the hockey editor now, so he has to work Saturday. Saturday's a pretty big day for hockey schedule wise Uh, but I I think at this point we got to look at Jack Donaghy's title from 30 Rock there was a long period at GE where Jack Donaghy was the vice president of East Coast television and microwave oven programming I think (laughs) Rotowire needs to ensure that Mike Gay is officially our director of microwave oven programming I mean I'm just happy he survived that because seeing the state of the microwave it's it's actually sort of amazing that no one was hurt by it because I've I've never seen a glass dish from the microwave just in pieces before. Never seen the charred uh, pieces of food and the the burnt cheese. I think I think that's the yellow grease you're describing. That's that's the only thing it could be. Yeah, there
2: must have been a fair amount of cheese on that on that sandwich. I I will say I'm proud of you. First of all, I'm impressed that you've never had a microwave or microwave related incident in your life. I. I had one slip up. I mean, for the most part, I've, I've been doing pretty well, but I think maybe sometime in high school, I tried to, somebody put a bag of Doritos in the fridge. So that's, that's, that's the first thing that went wrong. Yeah, that's, that's I did a not bad put start. them in there. You don't put chips in the fridge. You just don't. So I wasn't going to eat cold Doritos. And I thought, you know, I'll just <laughs> toss this, I'll just toss this Dorito bag in the microwave for like 10 seconds. <laughs> oh, no. and, and yeah, uh, fireworks ensued very quickly. Uh, the bag looked like it had gotten shot. Like there was just like bullet holes basically in the bag and sparks everywhere the microwave got messed up this was at my high school too so the microwave just had to be trashed at that point <laughs> uh luckily it was over the summer i think i was there doing some like basketball camp thing but uh yeah i never ended up taking the fall for the incident but i, I will say deep down i, I know in, in my heart of hearts that i'm not, batting not a thousand perfect, on, on microwaves no
1: well i think your twitter bio i i think you should strongly consider just adding the line once put doritos in the microwave and just just to get people to think about that, and maybe like deter them from making the same mistake. Although yeah. I've never heard of anyone putting a bag of chips in the refrigerator. How, at high school, no less. Did you have kids that went to your high school who showed up drunk for class or something?
2: I'm sure there were some. I mean, not, nobody that I hung out with or anything. But
1: it had to be one of them who put the Doritos in no, the fridge. No, no, no. What
2: happened was there was a basketball camp going on in the summer, and you know, as as players, like we were, we had to go there and like help out the little kids and help out the coaches and whatnot. And as kind of a thank you, the coaches would, like, I think they ordered, like, Subway or something for all of us and, like, got a bunch of chips. And so we go back the next day, and they had put all the subs and the chips in the fridge.
1: That is just yeah. dumb. Like, there's no reason to ever put chips in the refrigerator, I ever. Like know, I know. It, you I know. can't it do was, that.
2: It, right, exactly. So you can imagine. I think I was just – I wasn't thinking straight. I'd, I didn't expect to see the chips in the fridge. And, you know, my first instinct was, you know, these things are way below the temperature they need to be at. So – I tossed him into the first available microwave, and the rest is history.
1: Well, at least you survived it, and at least Mike and our colleagues survived Saturday. But uh, that was a surprising incident uh, nonetheless. Good weekend, I think, overall. I mean, I got to watch a good chunk of the games yesterday. Um, Unfortunately, the NFL continues to fail at building schedules properly. You had, I think it was 10 early games, three late afternoon games. Yeah, Thursday, Sunday, Monday. That'd be sixteen. How do you have a 10-3 split? How is that even possible? I realize that on the East Coast and even in the Central time zone, you prefer the early kickoff. People can get home at a more reasonable hour if they're coming from a few hours away. I mean, fans going to Green Bay on most Sundays are coming from two-plus hours away from Milwaukee, Madison, or, or other areas. But from a pure TV standpoint and from a consumption standpoint... It does not make any sense to me. You can't watch as many games this way. You can't consume as much football when 10 games are lumped together with only three in the late afternoon. And it happens every week. This is something I've railed against for years. I've offered my services to the NFL. I I would gladly sit down with an Excel spreadsheet and make a schedule that is better for the fans and for the players. To this point, they have not acknowledged my offer So we'll see if that changes upon listening to this pod. I know the commission is a huge fan of this podcast, even though we haven't said the nicest things about him over our year and change of existence. But the bottom line here is that I can't bear these late afternoon blocks of three games. Oftentimes you're stuck with one choice in local market. Again, if you don't have the red zone IV hooked up, you're in a bad way. And if that game gets out of hand, you're screwed but it didn't even matter which game you had the three late afternoon games this week were absolutely awful they were just the three worst games perhaps of the entire day all just lumped together in one unnecessarily small block
2: right yeah we had san francisco at arizona and we'll get to that in a little bit but that was a 40 point cardinals win there buffalo at miami i think looked like it was going to be a better game than it was but at least for us in the green bay area that wasn't the game that was on uh like you said the non-red zone guys uh, we got Chicago at Seattle, Yay. and the Bears punted quite a few times in this game, and I think that's pretty much what everybody expected. So, yeah, like you said, when you get these these small afternoon slates, and you know, the way that, that most markets do it, I assume, and it's kind of always how it's been around here, is you know if you have two early games on, one on CBS, one on Fox, then you only get one late game or vice versa, right? So, I mean, in this situation, you're, you're stuck watching Seattle and Chicago unless you can find a place to stream a game, and you know, obviously that has its issues.
1: I don't even understand how... Outside of like the direct Chicagoland area, how anyone else in the Midwest was subjected to that game, at least the Bills-Dolphins as an alternative had more more interesting comeback appeal and, and, and right. players that you don't get to see very often. Like any rational explanation for just letting everyone in the Midwest continue to watch that game uh, it just falls on deaf ears with me. I, I can't even rationalize what they were trying to accomplish there. Uh, some big injuries, though, this week. At least one big one. Ben Roethlisberger going down for the Steelers. That changes that team quite a bit. Uh, He's going to miss four to six weeks, grade two knee sprain. Uh, So he will be back this season. But if you have Roethlisberger, you're not in a completely different situation than Tony Romo owners are right now. I mean, if you look at those two players, Roethlisberger looks like he's on track to have a better year per game basis. He's been pretty good. Numbers in this game weren't great. We'll dive into that in more detail later. But I just wonder how much that Steelers offense changes with Michael Vick at the helm for at least the next four games.
2: I think, I mean, the offense itself is going to have to be toned down a little bit. Just, you know, the the amount that they've been slinging it around the first couple of weeks. And obviously we've seen Roethlisberger put up big yardage totals. Antonio Brown's put up big yardage totals. Um, yeah, I think you, got, you have to kind of look at it from Brown's perspective too. I mean, the second leading receiver in the, in the league right now behind Julio Jones from a yardage standpoint. And I don't think I like his value nearly as much with Michael Vick under center. And I don't, I don't think that's by any means a, a bold take. I guess it's just a matter of, can Vic play just well enough to, you know, to, to, to kind of keep this thing going? I mean, they're two and one. The has looked very good, even against New England in Week One when they lost. Um, you know, going up against a good New England defense, they were able to put up some points. Obviously, they blew out San Francisco in Week Two. I don't know. I mean, it's. I think they were kind of a team that, after that big San Francisco win, was starting to garner a lot of momentum as far as you know, are they are they just a step below New England in the in the AFC, and are they the team to beat in the AFC North and yeah, you know, I think they're probably they're probably thrilled that Roethlisberger's only missing four to six weeks. With the way that that injury looked, I think for a while there, it, it looked like it very easily could have been a torn ACL. Um, but with the Bengals sitting at three and zero, and you know, possible five six weeks without Roethlisberger, I mean, they they could find themselves in a bit of a hole here if Vic's not able to play just well enough. He did go five of six for thirty eight yards. Um, you know, against St. Louis, who sacked uh, twice too. By sacked the way. twice, yeah. Uh, two, yeah, exactly. Two carries for negative two yards. Not what you want to see from a guy who, you know, has obviously made his living on being mobile. I guess my question to you is: Are Brown, you know, Martavis Bryant, when he comes back in Week Five, Le'Veon Bell? Uh, We'll even throw Darius Hayward Bay. Are those guys enough as weapons around Vic to kind of keep the Steelers afloat without Roethlisberger?
1: I think so, and they've got a a good tight end, too, in Heath Miller. I know he didn't do much yesterday, but the, the weapons here, Todd Haley being the offensive coordinator, it all lines up in a way where Vic should at least be a viable QB2 option, and if he can be that, I think you only have to dial back the expectations for guys like Brown and, and even Martavis Bryant just slightly. I mean, I think Le'Veon Bell's value is still pretty safe, and as we've said time and time again, mobile quarterbacks often make running backs more dangerous. It opens up a lot of running lanes because you have to defend the edge with a guy like Vic. With that, Bell gets inside. If he gets to the line, gets into open space, he can obviously rip off some big runs. The unfortunate thing for the Steelers is that they have to play the Thursday night game this week. So short opportunity for them to get Vic even further up to speed with the first team offense. After that, they get the long layoff to play the Monday night game in week five. Uh, So they got the Ravens. They go on the road to San Diego in week five. They're home against the Cardinals in Week 6, who maybe the schedule's been a little favorable, but still look like a legitimately strong playoff contender and maybe the best team in that division right now, depending on what shape Seattle ends up in. And then following the Cardinals' matchup, they get the Chiefs. So if Roethlisberger misses just four games, those are the four that he'll miss. If he ends up missing a little more time, Bengals and Raiders, both home games in early November, could be in jeopardy as well. But they'd likely get him back around the time they face the Browns at home. On the 15th of November, their bye week is late this year, too. Their, their bye week is after that matchup against Cleveland. So if he's taking longer to heal and they want to wait through that bye week, they'd likely get him back on the 29th of November on the road in Seattle. Certainly a game you'd want to have him back for, uh, given how tough that defense should be. Especially by then, they'll be a lot more accustomed to Cam Chancellor being back out there and probably looking more like that Seattle defense we've come to expect.
2: Right. Yeah, so not an easy slate that they'll be that they'll be facing without Roethlisberger there, but you know, like we said, I think 4 to 6 week absence is almost a victory at, at this point considering how that injury appeared in real time. Another injury uh, that, that happened this weekend, Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, I guess what well, didn't happen this weekend It happened earlier in the season. He didn't play in week 2 or week 3. Says he expects to be back for week 4 in in what could be a very interesting game is the Owen 3 Chicago Bears. Travel to Oakland to take on the two and one Raiders who could very easily move to three and one in this game.
1: Yeah, I mean Jimmy Clausen was brutal in that game against Seattle. And you think about Clausen against Oakland, a pass defense that's been shredded by everyone. Even Josh McCollin had a pretty good day against them. They can't cover the tight end. The Bears do have a good tight end in Martellus Bennett. If they were to get Jeffrey back, this could be the rare two hundred and fifty yard passing day for Jimmy Clausen.
2: It very well could be. I mean, I don't know what to think of this Raiders team just yet. I don't think anyone considers them a playoff contender by any means. I mean, they've they've been been fortunate with the schedule. Um, you know, obviously that week three win over Baltimore is impressive, but the Ravens are sitting at 0-3 right now. I don't think they're quite the team that people thought they were going to be. Um, but, I mean, we'll get into that Raiders game in just a little bit. Do we want to start breaking down the games? Oh, we should. We should. All right, well, let's start in Jacksonville because when I sort these games by score on my computer – the Jags are, are marked as a, a favorite team, so they automatically jump to the front, so they're first in the order. 51-17, New England, comfortably covering what I think ended up being a 13.5-point spread at the start of game time. might have been a little bit higher. I know it was up as high as 14.5 at the start of the week. Tom Brady, 33-42, 358 yards, two touchdowns. Um, I mean, New England, I think this game pretty much went exactly... Like most people expected it to. New England got up big early. It was 20 to 3 at the half and was just kind of able to run the ball out for most of the second half. They didn't really go into clock killing mode, maybe quite as much as people thought. I mean, Brady did attempt 42 passes in what was a 34 point game, but LeGarrett Blunt, 18 carries, 78 yards, three touchdowns. So he's officially back. Deion Lewis did, did most of his work in the first half eight carries, 37 yards, and a touchdown, uh, five catches for 30 yards as well. Brady really spreading the ball around. Nine receivers caught passes for New England. This Jacksonville offense was absolutely miserable. 20 rushes for 57 yards as a team. Yeldon finishing with just 33 yards. Blake Bortles was vintage Blake Bortles completing right around 50% of his passes. A couple touchdowns, one of those coming late in the game, um, and then a pick as well. So Again, pretty much what we expected, I think, from the Jaguars.
1: Vintage Blake Bortles is about as good as the beer you bought two summers ago that fell behind the other beers on the shelf, and then you realize like, today, like, oh, I got this beer. I, I should drink this. And you drink it, and you're just like, oh, this is brutal. I can't believe I had this land back there, and I thought it would be a good idea to drink it. I mean, that's Blake Bortles like, in a in a beer metaphor. Look at the Patriots' schedule coming up. They get the buy in week four. On the road to face Dallas, no Romo, no Bryant and that one. Should be a win. They go on the road to face the Colts. Um, the Colts are dysfunctional. Like they barely beat Tennessee. That's a win this week. That's probably a win. So that they're likely five and zero. They get three at home after that: Jets, Dolphins, Redskins. The Jets probably give them the best game of that trio, but I think they win. They'll
2: be favored in all, all three of
1: those. All of those games. They'll be favored by by double digits probably against the Dolphins in, in Washington, just given yeah. the way the Dolphins have trended. They get the Giants the week after that on the road. Maybe. There, they start to run into some trouble. They get the Bills again. I mean, it's ugly. I mean, there's who who on their schedule is going to beat them? Like, it it, it doesn't seem like they have a really difficult matchup anywhere until they face the Denver defense on the road on November 29th. That that could be their next really good test.
2: Right, and if they get past Denver, I mean, obviously, we're getting way into the future here, and a lot can change. But Philadelphia, Houston, Tennessee, New York, and Miami to close out the season. I don't think we're sitting here trying to project the – the Patriots go sixteen and zero, but like you said, it, it, there's not a game that you don't feel great about on the schedule. Um, like I mean, the Buffalo rematch in Week Eleven will be difficult, and then the following week at Denver, like you said. But outside of those those two games, you can maybe lump in that New York game. I mean, New England looks to be kind of in cruise control at this point. So I, I mean, I, I think you got to kind of expect them to slip up at some point. Um, you know, it's just, i mean it's we how many teams have gone undefeated through the regular season. I mean and as good as this New England team has looked, we're only 3 weeks in and you know they're bound to run into some injury issues at some point or some discontinuity issues at some point. So i mean it's it's just like you said it's just hard to look at the schedule and not feel good about a lot of these games and you know there are a couple teams you can say that about. I think Green Bay is one of them. Um and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about them in conjunction with the Monday night game. Any other notes you want to you want to talk about from this Jags game? Toby Gerhart made his debut. Yeah, yeah uh, three nice, rushes for ten yards.
1: Nice contribution there from from Tabino or Tabimbo. Tabimbo, that's worse. Tabino would be like a good name, but Tabimbo, come I on, that's awful. No, nothing. <laughs> How is good. that
2: better than Tabino?
1: Or worse than Tabimbo? Tabimbo is is a terrible name. It just is. Like
2: I mean, it totally is. But I just don't know. I just don't know that Tabino is like a whole lot better.
1: Uh, we should put that up you know let us know on twitter he's at whalen the l is a number one i'm at Derek van Riper. let us know if you had to choose your name is either tabinbo or tabino you can put an h in for that second b or, or no h i don't care how you spell it which uh, name do you prefer i'm on team tabino i wish he would put case. his
2: entire first name on or first and last name on the back of the jersey like didn't didn't players used to do that like, he should, there were a few like bracy Wright for the for uh, Detroit, I know used to put his full name. Well, is
1: it because they had other players with like the B Wright? Like, was, was there like Bradley yeah, but, Wright or somebody else on the team at the time that? Yeah, made but usually, yeah, you, know,
2: you can just put an initial or the first couple letters. Like, I mean, there are guys who have put their whole whole name on the jersey. I can't. I'm sure there are more other than. Other I mean, than just, he yeah. hate
1: me. Of course, is a famous example. I think that was legally his Rod name Smart. at the time. <laughs> yeah. no, I think I think I think he legally changed his name to he hate me during the XFL season.
2: Oh right, of course the. The XFL season. Did that only last one year? Yeah,
1: I think that was only a one-year league, if I'm not mistaken. But Yikes. if it lasted longer, I wasn't watching.
2: Yeah, uh, I was I was pretty into that for about a couple of weeks, I think, as an elementary school kid. That was obviously very appealing. But uh, yeah, we'll probably curb off our, our XFL talk for, for the remainder of the season. I think we hit our quota there already.
1: Well, on Wednesday, you should talk XFL with Mike Doria. <laughs>
2: I, is he is he a noted XFL? I
1: think he fondly remembers Tommy Maddox just carving it up in the XFL. I think he he would have vivid memories of that. Okay. And right. I think that'd be really a good way to help him recall yeah. a really happy time in his life. But I mean what a what a gross division so far. I mean, the Texans have underachieved, the Colts look like a mess. The whole division's one and two right now. It's anyone's division. It's up for grabs, at least for now, seemingly. So you have reason to be optimistic as a Jags fan
2: uh well yeah I mean had they not been blown out and allowed 51 points I would be a little bit more optimistic I mean I'd, they're still tied for the division lead right now I suppose I mean every everybody in the AFC South is at one and two right now and you know the Colts were able to pull it out in Tennessee but they still don't look great I, they there's still a lot of issues there I think if they're playing 25 out of 30 teams in the league they would probably lose that game uh on Sunday but yeah, the FC South is a complete mess. I think Houston is just as in it as anybody else at this point. The Jags in Tennessee are, you know, they're, they're not good teams. But I think Houston has the potential to be, to be at least a cut above uh, Jacksonville Tennessee. Falcons, 39, Cowboys, 28. Atlanta comes from behind again for the third straight week. They end up moving to 3 and 0. Matt Ryan, 24 of 36, 285 yards, two touchdowns. Another huge game for Julio Jones. And speaking of names, uh, you know, talking about Toby Gerhardt. Julio Jones' real name is Quintoris Lopez
1: Jones. How do you get Julio out of that?
2: I don't know. Why is he not going by Quintoris? What a great name. I mean, well, Julio's, Julio's a pretty cool name, too. Julio's
1: a great name. That's like on the 20 to 80 scouting scale in baseball. Julio's probably an 80 name.
2: Well, Julio's like a Spanish name, right? Yeah. Well, maybe he's part Spanish. I mean, if his real name is Quintoris Lopez Jones, I mean, Lopez is Spanish, obviously, right? Yeah,
1: I just don't know where the Julio comes from. Maybe the listeners, again, can enlighten us on this one. Matt Ryan, 24 of 36, 285, two TDs. Julio going off, 12 catches, 164 yards two touchdowns looks like he's a little bit gimpy at times too and he's still playing yeah. at a crazy high Ooh, it level it sounded
2: like the announcers were i forget who was calling this game as i was watching but it sounded like they were almost expecting him to leave the game at multiple times you know and he would make a catch kind of get up favor that hamstring and you know, it sounded like it was only a matter of time before he was going to exit the game, and he just never did.
1: That was the forgettable Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Of
2: course, <laughs> it was. I, had, I that had it on game? mute for the for the most part. I mean, I had the Jags game going on another TV, so that, that one obviously gets there, the sound. That, you
1: have no idea who called that game, right? Like, I mean, there's no way you could remember or even identify the people who called the Jags game this no. week. No,
2: no. I mean, it was. I think it was local Pats guys or whoever whoever would have done that. <laughs> local if, Pats guys. Yeah. It was the Pats
1: radio. The Pats radio guys. Your TV was hacked, and you were listening to the Pats radio guys because it's just that just happens sometimes when you watch Patriots. Yeah. <laughs> Julio leads the league in receiving yards, four hundred and forty, and targets at forty-six. What happened to Roddy White? He was on the field throughout this game. I was flipping back between this game. I did see uh, and him the on the He was out there all the time, and he was kind of half running routes, mostly yeah. just like blocking, blocking. guys. He didn't show up on the on the target list. He's at a
2: glorified all. like blocker at this point, I think, and he's super good at it, so it works out well for them, I guess. But yeah, Why I mean did they
1: stop using him?
2: Leonard Hankerson, I guess. I mean they obviously pounded Devontae Freeman a ton in this game. He he broke out thirty carries, hundred and forty one yards, three touchdowns, um, you know, and then fifty two yards on five catches in the passing game. But I think Leonard Hankerson has kind of taken over that second receiver role from Roddy White, but even he only had three catches.
1: Take the targets you gave to Jacob Tamme, Levine Toilolo, Nick Williams, and Patrick DeMarco. Take those four targets and throw the ball to Roddy White those four times. And are you, you okay with you... them
2: targeting uh, Quintoris Jones 20 times?
1: Yeah, that that's what team... When you have an unstoppable receiver like that, they should get 20 targets a game. I don't. There's, there's coaches in the NFL that think they have to have balance for the sake of balance. Not balance because their running backs are talented and can get them four and a half yards per carry. In this case, Devonta Freeman had a great game, but... There are so many teams, the Lions are the first one that come to mind, that do not force feed their top option when they should or they wait until they have to. They wait until they're down a score or down even two scores. And then all of a sudden, they're predictable because all they do is feed it to the same guy. I mean, if you're going to throw it 36 times, yeah, you should at least give half of those targets to Julio Jones if you're the Falcons. So give credit to their coaching staff. I love what they're doing with him right now. And it's the same thing Todd Haley's doing with Antonio Brown. Like, you know it's coming, and you still can't stop it.
2: Right, and the Lions are the the obvious team to mention there with Calvin Johnson. You know, a, a decent game for him in Week Three, but you know, so many times over the last couple of years, he's he's kind of bound to put up those low target games and can kind of disappear for, for as good of a receiver as he is. But it's pretty incredible how open Julio Jones seems to get. Like, I know you use the term force feeding, and I think that's kind of what the Lions have done a little bit with Calvin Johnson sometimes, kind of just throwing a you know a fifty fifty ball and allowing him to try to make a play, but. Julio's not even in those situations. He's just getting open. If he's in a one on one matchup, Matt Ryan identifies it and they exploit it. And and usually it only takes a move or two and Jones is past whoever's whoever's on him, whether it's in a you know, a slant type of situation, a short route, or just going deep. I mean he he's looked to me like the best receiver in the NFL so far this season.
1: Yeah, if you were if you were choosing a player at that position to give to your quarterback, he's the guy you want right now based on age, size, speed, all of those factors. That like he is the most dominant receiver in the league and that's no disrespect to the other elite well, it's, receivers it's, it's insane
2: just... how many receivers are. i mean we're in a golden age i think of, of the receiver position it's a lot like the point guard spot in the nba right now where you can look up and down and there's 15 20 guys that you can really feel good about and and that's kind of how it how it feels in the nfl right now i mean even even bad teams like the raiders the jaguars even you know the titans with, with green beckham and kendall wright like he, there's there's one or two receivers on almost every team in the league that you that you really like i mean travis benjamin in cleveland even so it, it's been a lot of fun You know, i think in the mid-2000s was kind of the age of the running back where it seemed like you know every team had their guy that they were really feeding and now I think it's kind of trending a little bit more towards receivers
1: yeah definitely is headed in that direction and I think that's a big part of why Dallas is going to struggle of course is that their their guy Des Bryant is still down for several weeks I mean look at where their targets went in this game Lance Dunbar targeted 10 times 10 catches 100 yards I mean that's a great ppr sort of day it's a great day regardless of a little bit the of PPR checking down segment. there by uh
2: by mr whedon
1: some some checking down he, he was efficient 22 of 26 232 8.9 yards per attempt what more can he do he threw one pick. i think this
2: is exactly what they need him to do like I yeah, said, well, the one pick ended up being pretty costly i mean it was such a whedon pick you know roll i think he was flushed out left just about to get hit and just throws a duck that was an easy pick and you got to kind of take the good with the bad with whedon i think if if you told The Cowboys before the game that Brandon Whedon would finish 22 of 26 over 200 yards and only one pick. Whether or not he throws a touchdown or not, which which he didn't, I think you're happy with that. And Dallas, for as depleted as this offense is, and you know uh, Jason Witten is banged up, Terrence Williams didn't even have a catch. I don't think they're certainly not happy with this result, but I think they hung in there with, with a very good Atlanta offense, maybe a little bit more than people thought they would.
1: Well, I, I would have been surprised if Dallas won this game, but I still was surprised that they had the lead that they carried. I mean, at one point, they had a 21-7 lead. Another point, they were up 28-14. So they had two-touchdown lead for a, a decent portion of this game. Uh, you look at what the drives looked like after the Falcons got a late field goal in the, to end the second half. It was 28-17 at that point. It was a 3-and-out for the first drive, penalty, a false start, made it a 1st-and-15. They ran Randall. He lost a yard. 2nd-and-16, they they got called for holding in that spot. They threw a pass, though, on that play. 2nd-and-26, you have to throw. 3rd-and-23, you have to throw again. And, you know, what do you expect? So there's a 3-and-out there. The drive after that, they ran. They they lost 4 yards on first down. So at 2nd-and-14, they threw it again. It was a skinny post, incomplete. 3rd-and-14. Uh, no, pay, no play because of, of a penalty. So that actually, uh, was wiped out by a roughing the passer called Adrian Claiborne. So they got bailed out there. First and 10, they run Joseph Randall again, Atlanta bottled him up second and eight. Um, so you, you look at what was going on here. They couldn't run the balls effectively in the second half. I know some of the analysts talking about this game after it happens, well, Dallas has to run the ball when they have a lead they tried when you lose yardage or don't get yardage on first Mm -hmm. down and you end up in second and long third and long because of penalties you don't have a choice you can't just run draws on third and 14 and hope that joseph randall is going to get you 15 yards it's just not going to happen so a lot of this came down to to just poor execution Penalties and then Atlanta's run defense stepping up after a brutal first half. I mean, Joseph Randall ended up with a great line. Devontae Freeman ran well on the other side, but 14 carries for 87 yards and three TDs. It looked like the Dallas line in the first half was opening up huge holes the way they were throughout last season for DeMarco Murray.
2: Right. Well, even on that first Dallas drive that went for a touchdown. Uh, Randall had had rushes of 28 yards and 37 yards. I mean, over over well over half of his his yardage totals came in you know within the first five minutes of the game, within the first two minutes of the game, really. I mean, Dallas scored on a minute and, and eight seconds on that first drive, and you know once they fell behind in the third quarter and, and into the fourth quarter, that's where you started to see the issue with playing a guy like Brandon Weeden. Um, you know, you, you start asking him to make plays outside of you know checking down, you know, making the easy throw, handing it off and and then you run into some issues and we saw that kind of in, in a couple other places across the league you know Oakland at Cleveland Cleveland's down 7 late in the fourth quarter you're asking Josh McCown to lead a game winning drive or a game tying drive Carolina you're you're asking Luke McCown to to come back down 5 late in the game again against Carolina and both of those guys end up throwing picks Brandon Whedon just wildly ineffective at the end of this game when you when you have these backup quarterbacks, and you know they're, they're a lot of the times good enough to be game managers and put you in spots to win, but when you ask them to make the plays to win the game, that's when you're going to find yourself into some trouble. And I think you know that that rang pretty true across the board in the league this week.
1: Well, yeah, and I think especially in the case of Dallas, again with with no des Bryant, Brandon Whedon's job becomes all right. the more difficult. As soon as it, the
2: Falcons went up by double digits, but went up by eleven with that last touchdown, you just it knew. was over. It's like what now Dallas is you know they had three four minutes left you, you can't trust Brandon Whedon to just lead a drive down the field like that especially when he hadn't thrown passes downfield at all really it was you know a lot of over the middle stuff not not really taking any deep chances and like you said that worked for a while until Anna figured out this guy's not going to go deep. we can pack the box we can stop the run and, and once they stopped or once they started doing that the Dallas offense really sputtered
1: yeah things completely changed once they were able to uh, to seal up that running game Colts 35 Titans 33 this one uh, was a big come from behind win 21 fourth quarter points for the colts to pull out the two-point win and it took a failed two-point conversion uh, to actually preserve this a, one a
2: very failed two-point conversion
1: <laughs> what were they thinking on that was that jouston fowler yeah yeah, yeah. The, okay i thought
2: it was like the ghost of lendale white at first
1: what okay marcus Mariota. how did how did he become the number two pick in the draft mobility yeah, mobility good decision making Uh, just being able to do pretty much anything you want a modern quarterback to do i don't know how you design a play that is an obvious like goal line set handoff to jalston fowler to to decide if you're gonna like tie the game or not i mean this is absurd bishop sankey go ahead and light your shares of bishop sankey on fire or put them in our microwave that would probably be the the best way to go not sankey himself your shares i'm not advocating humans in microwaves just for anyone who Wasn't listening carefully. you to got to be careful these days. On the record. On the record, I am opposed to putting humans in microwaves. Antonio Andrews gets 12 carries for 49 yards and a touchdown. Otherwise, nobody else could run it. I mean, 4.1 yards per carry was better than what Sankey did in limited touches. But at the same time, how did they sour so quickly on Bishop Sankey after a good week one? I know he was bad last year. I'm surprised he fell out of favor as fast as he did. I'm surprised Jelston Fowler was even touching the ball. Dexter McCluster had five carries after a good game last week. He wasn't effective. Kendall Wright was back in the mix. Delaney Walker contributed at least in full-point PPR leagues. Otherwise, there was nothing else in this offense from the running backs and the receivers and tight ends to get excited about on a day where Marcus Mariota threw for 367 yards. He had 8.3 yards per attempt, two TDs, got sacked three times, threw a couple picks. He's going to have games like that. But he gave them a chance to win. And their inability to run the ball and just the horrible decision making on that two-point conversion in particular really, really was costly in this one.
2: Yeah, and Tennessee was in a great spot to win this game for really three quarters. And twenty-seven to fourteen going into the start of the fourth quarter, in Indianapolis scores twenty-one points. And, and even Tennessee had a chance to tie it, like you said, in that and that horrendous I don't know if it was a bad call necessarily. It just wasn't there. I mean, there. it is worth noting on the first attempt, they they looked, they looked wanted to go on a fade to Doriel Green-Beckham, ended up, I think Vontae Davis just took like an intentional pass interference call, which was actually really smart. You know, like the Colts defense was high-fiving him after he like grabbed Green-Beckham. It's like, why not? You know, you're moving the ball up what, six inches, yeah. uh, if that. So, I mean, it basically just, you know, reset the down at that point. And yeah, and, and it's just, it was a little odd that they didn't use Marcus Mariota. Maybe not even in that situation, but just, they didn't take advantage of his mobility at all in this game. He didn't have a rushing attempt, and he's not a guy like Cam Newton that you want to necessarily be pounding and you know, allow him to take a physical beating, is a little bit of a slighter build. But I think you have to at least give him a chance to kind of add that that dynamic to your offense. Well, when
1: you're not letting him do that, you're not designing plays that get him out into space to where he can actually run when, when the situation calls for it, it makes running the ball all the more difficult with all of your running backs. It just doesn't... It doesn't add up. It's another strange thing that Ken Wisenhunt has done. Just a guy that I really don't understand as a coach. And you know, look at the at the Colts side of this one. Frank Gore had a pretty nice game, 14 for 86, couple TDs. Ty Hilton, four for 94 on seven targets. Kobe Fleener shows up targeted six times four for 51 Philip Dorsett had a TD only three targets two for 43 in a score and then Dante Moncrief four for 32 in a score on seven targets no Andre Johnson at all in this one I have to wonder if he's actually in danger of losing his roster spot given that he wasn't really even on the field in the fourth quarter and no injury has been reported
2: yeah it's it's been a very odd kind of situation for him I guess I, I really liked him going into this you know, coming from a bad Houston offense where he's been forever to coming in and playing with who a lot of people expected to be you know, top three quarterback this season. Obviously, that hasn't been the case so far, but he's just been non-existent. I mean, it, Philip Dorsett and Dante Moncrief have kind of been the two names in that passing game. Obviously, T.Y. Hilton is still there and. I just don't know if it's if it's old age finally catching up to Andre Johnson or just kind of reacclimating to that new system or whatever it is. But I mean, he's been a major, major disappointment both from a fantasy and and an on field, you know, real NFL perspective through three weeks.
1: Seems like a guy who's going to be released at the end of the season if not sooner, right. just based on how infrequently they've been able to lean on him through these early weeks of the season. Perhaps he finds a way to turn it on. But anyone who took a chance on him early or even in the mid rounds of a full point PPR draft, uh, very disappointed with the returns to this point Raiders 27 Browns 20 uh, well this is the good thing about having 10 games at once is that you don't have to watch a lot of Raiders Browns uh, Raiders are at two and one now after the win own oh, three Bears coming to visit as he mentioned earlier Derek Carr 20 of 32 314 yards two touchdowns it seems like he's really vaulted his status up to the point where he's kind of in that two be you know, that QB two conversation uh, on a regular basis and I think there's still a good number of like 12 team leagues where he's probably sitting out there on the waiver wire
2: yeah, he's been able to limit his mistakes this season, which has been huge. I mean, five touchdowns, just one pick so far. That one pick coming against Baltimore last week. And you know, like we said at the top of the show, it, the Raiders could very well be 3-1 and one after next week with the Bears coming to town, a very bad Bears team. And I don't, I don't think anyone's taking Oakland seriously just yet. But, I mean, are you all in on Derek Carr now through the season and a third almost?
1: Um all in? No, but partially uh, in. Yeah, one one foot in. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm I'm encouraging. I think a lot of it has to do with Amari Cooper, the eight for one thirty four he put up yesterday. They're running it well at Latavius Murray. This is a team that does seem to have a good amount of talent now around Carr, which was a problem uh, throughout last season. I think Amari Cooper is one of those true number one receivers, even though he's not, you know, a Julio Jones physically or a, um, you know, a Kelvin Johnson type build he's still a guy that runs such precise routes has that combination of quickness and speed where he can actually get open against quality dbs so that goes a long way towards making quarterback better even if Derek Carr is perpetually in the 15 to 20 range most weeks I think you're going to find weeks where like in the value meter context where you are looking at the weekly matchups he goes a little higher than that because you look at the Raiders as a team that defensively I mean this is a team that can't cover tight ends Gary Barnage was proof of that, a guy that really doesn't do much of anything. He came out and had a pretty good game. Uh, I think you look at the Raiders and you'd say, okay, this is a team that has improved offensively and it is still mediocre defensively. As a result, very shootout-prone in the division they're in. They're playing against a lot of teams that can put points on the board. Chargers are among them. Broncos, I think, are figuring some things out offensively. Uh, And even the Chiefs' offense is improved from where it was a year ago. So I think with that, you get a more steady volume, and I think you look at this as a situation where Derek Carr is showing legitimate improvement.
2: Yeah, and I think Cooper's probably been the biggest part of that, at least so far this year. Back-to-back 100-yard outputs for him at 134 yards on Sunday, Um, obviously a career high. And he's just been a bigger deep ball threat, I think, than than I expected. I mean, not a guy who, like you said, he doesn't quite have that that physical profile of some of the top receivers. He only listed at six one two ten, 210, but I think he's he's an underrated speed guy. He gets down the field really well. He had a long touchdown, a 68-yarder uh, early in the game against Baltimore last week, a 40-yard catch against Cleveland. And just a guy that's kind of been able to take the top off the defense in, in a way that the Raiders haven't really had in quite some time. I think, I mean, who, who's been their best receiver really since – I, don't, I don't, Do we want to harken back to the Tim Brown days?
1: Whew, that goes that goes a long I can't, way. Have back. they had
2: anybody who's even been there for more than like two or three years at a time?
1: It, it, the quarterback play has been so bad, so bad for so much of that time. Even when they brought in like Randy Moss, he wasn't nearly. Yeah, that was not a good idea. Well, it just didn't work. I mean, it just it sadly just did not work whatsoever. I, I think aside from Cooper, I mean, Michael Crabtree, for as much of a disappointment as he's been as an NFL player. I mean, he's been an upgrade for them as another guy that can be a threat. Didn't have a huge game against the Browns, but played pretty well in Week 2. Seth Roberts got the uh, one of the TDs. And Andre Holmes has always been sort of interesting to me, but he's not getting as many targets now with Cooper and Crabtree, uh, getting a combined 20 in this matchup. I mean, Latavius Murray's legit. I, I don't have him anywhere. i got eight season-long teams and no shares, 26 carries for 139 yards and a score I mean what more could you ask for from your running back
2: no I mean he's a guy who was going in drafts kind of in the area around Justin Forsett type of value you know that type of definitely not an RB or not a tier one running back maybe not even tier two at tier two slash three a guy you knew was going to be the starter but you had questions about the offense and I mean after a performance like this I think Murray's value kind of has to skyrocket 26 carries 139 yards along a 54 and something we really haven't seen much from him this season in a touchdown. So. I mean, he's the clear guy in this Oakland backfield. There's really no competition whatsoever. Tywan Jones receiving two carries, and and other than that, Marcel Reese had one and Derek Carr had one on what was basically a scramble. So not a lot of competition for carries there. So if if you're a Latavius Murray owner, I think that might be the most encouraging takeaway from this game.
1: On the other side of this matchup, I thought Isaiah Crowell could do a little more damage, and it just didn't happen. Ten carries for 36 yards. They only ran Duke Johnson four times picked up a total of three yards on those carries mentioned Barnage before he finished with six catches for 105 yards and a touchdown so uh, Martellus Bennett on DraftKings in week four probably a good idea going to be heavily owned but I I could see it paying off in a pretty big way Travis Benjamin scored in this one four catches on 10 targets 45 yards and a score Uh, Duke Johnson caught six balls though for 32 yards i will have to wonder if duke's role begins to increase with Corell's struggles in this matchup so something to keep an eye on it seems like josh mccown played well enough to where they're not making a change and, and well enough in this case included a pick and five sacks i mean he, he was struggling through the first half too. it i think some of the browns beat writers thought there was a chance that a change would be made on the fly in this game i think the change is more likely to come at the running back position
2: yeah the the Johnny Chance I think we're starting already in the second quarter for Cleveland and obviously those come on pretty strongly with with any kind of displeasure with with McCown's play but like I think he did play well enough to hang on to the job I mean it's he turned into very Josh McCown game and 341 yards two touchdowns you'd like the interception was a dagger in the sense that I mean it literally ended their chances of winning the game but I didn't necessarily have a problem with that throw and you know Woodson made a nice play on the ball um, I think if McCown gets a little more loft on it and and leads Benjamin by another yard or two that might be a score um, and that's just a chance you have to take And in an offense that struggles to move the ball in chunks with a quarterback like McCown I'd, I didn't have a huge problem with that pick but we, we saw quite a few uh worse throws late in games this week
1: yeah we definitely had our, our share with so many backups around the league getting opportunities Bengals 28 Ravens 24, those teams are going in opposite directions. Bengals now 3-0. and They look like the number two team in the AFC, I think, behind the Patriots. The Patriots kind of in a class of their own just based on the way they're handling teams right now. But it's weird to see the 0-3 next to the Ravens, first time in franchise history. That has happened. Andy Dalton, talk about a guy that because of the weapons around him, looks like he is significantly up in value. I mean, I think most people out there would take Dalton over the likes of Matthew Stafford, Colin Kaepernick, guys that were clearly drafted ahead of him in most drafts. A few weeks back, I think Dalton's going after, or going ahead of those guys now. The uh, 383 yards, three TDs, massive performance there. AJ Green on the receiving end of a good chunk of it, ten catches, 227 yards and two TDs, an 80-yard TD among them, 13 targets. Marvin Jones, 5 for 94 in a TD. They didn't even run it that well in this game. Gio Bernard had 13 carries for 49 yards. Jeremy Hill had 12 for 21. Uh, Bernard also added three catches for 34 yards. So while the touches were split almost 50-50, the value was almost like 75-25 in terms of uh, where the fantasy points went between those two backs. I-, I think there's actually a window to buy low on Jeremy Hill, mostly because I think this is a good Cincinnati offense. You, know, you get into a matchup where they can run the ball more effectively, effectively, effectively he's going to be a guy they still trust in close i'm not convinced that they like geo bernard as their primary goal line back especially and i think that hill was getting a lot of the carries early in this game says that the coaches still believe that he can be a contributor for them over the course of this season i mean the ridiculous thing on the aj green 80 yard td is that he had two defenders that looked like they had just kind of wrapped him up kind of spun out of it somehow Broke the tackles, ended up scoring. Just a, an amazing performance from him. This was a really fascinating game to watch. The end game, especially, was outstanding. Maybe the best game of the early slate.
2: Yeah, it was fourteen to seven at the start of the fourth quarter of this game, and Cincinnati had been in control really for the first three quarters. There were a couple, you know, close scoring opportunities. I think they fumbled right at the goal line, and you know, it, it looked like they were really going to be in control. Um, and then also sudden, an Andy Dalton fumbles that's returned for a touchdown and Baltimore is right back in this. Then, then, like you said, the, the 80 yard AJ green touchdown on the next play, uh, they just go deep and like, I think he was wrapped up at around the Baltimore 35 and just spun right out of it and walked in for a touchdown. Steve Smith made a couple huge catches for Baltimore on that ensuing drive. They go down and score again um and then aj green comes right back i mean baltimore or excuse me cincinnati marches right down the field dalton lost one over and, and and green hauls it in for his second td of the quarter and i mean it was great performance by dalton to be sure but i think i mean aj green is really the reason that cincinnati won this game and he's another guy and we just talked about the depth of receiver talent in this league and like i guy like aj green almost gets forgotten in that conversation with as good as julio and dez when he's healthy and, and obviously calvin johnson demarius I mean, J- A.J. Green is as good as any receiver in the league when he's at full strength.
1: Yeah, it felt like that in the Stopa law firm auction back in, in July during the All-Star break. I got a, a deal on him compared to what Beckham and Jones and Megatron and Julio. I mean, like those guys all went for more than A.J. Green. And I felt like I was getting a receiver at a very similar level who has already played with Andy Dalton before. It's not like his situation had changed. And the only concern I started to develop over the last couple of weeks was that with all these other weapons, I mean, Tyler Eifert had a TD taken away. It was ruled incomplete uh, pass. It was, would have been his only catch of the day if it had been ruled a catch. I mean, with that in the red zone... With Marvin Jones being a very quality number two receiver, with Sanu getting a handful of looks, with the running backs being capable of catching passes, I thought maybe the volume would go down slightly with Green, but I thought the efficiency might go up because the defensive attention, the double teams he would see, could potentially go down. So just an amazing performance from A.J. Green, really kind of vaults his status back into the elite tier. If there's ever any doubt in anyone's mind, if they were starting to downgrade him, it was proven to be uh, unwarranted. For the Ravens, I mean... What a weird offensive performance as a whole. Joe Flacco, 32 of 49, 362 yards, two TDs and a pick. Wasn't sacked. Bengals' defense really didn't look great. Steve Smith just torched him. 13 for 186 on two TDs on 17 targets. It's insane. And teams know that he's the only real threat they've got right now.
2: Right. We talked about this at the beginning of the season. We I think we were both very high on Steve Smith. For one, the reason, like you just said, that they just don't have anybody else right now. Torrey Smith is gone. Brashad Perriman still hurt. And Steve Smith is, you know, by far leading them in targets. Seventeen on Sunday, looked to be vintage Steve Smith on that on that final or second to last, I guess, Baltimore drive, um, you know, coming up with two big catches, including his second touchdown. I mean, he's the guy to own in this Baltimore receiving core. And you look at the running game, just thirty-six yards as a team. Justin Forsett, ten carries, thirteen yards. He's been horrendous through the first three weeks, and you, you can debate whether that's Forsett himself or the, or the offensive line struggling, but. Right now, they if they can't run the ball, they look like a team that's going to have to throw it forty plus times a game. And Flacco almost got to fifty attempts in this one.
1: Yeah, they, I just I can't believe they were able to do that much. As much as I like Steve Smith, I'm surprised he's that effective. Like that that kind of game is completely ridiculous when you're just you're not really worried about anybody else on the field right now. And that might change with with Rashad Perriman. Maybe you look at that offense and you see guys a guy that can stretch the field and, and really do some damage on the other side. And then that brings coverage away. Even though the targets may start to come down but man I, I never thought we'd see a game that good from Steve Smith and I was one of the guys that thought he had to be pretty safe going into the year simply because they don't have anyone else to throw to Panthers 27 Saints 22 Luke McCowan 31 of 38 310 yards we'll, we'll you know pretty what?
2: much mirro- mirrored excuse me that Brandon Whedon performance I think Just did enough to keep him in the game and you know ultimately when you ask him to go win you the game late in the fourth quarter it ends in an interception
1: yeah you look at uh, the other side of this matchup cam newton i mean 30 of 31 315 yards two touchdowns can't get calls though because he's too young which probably was a joke from ed hockey League, but not the kind of joke you necessarily want to tell if you're an no. official in the uh-huh. nfl
2: no yeah and like you mentioned cam got a, what he thought was a late hit uh, in this game and apparently after the game told the media that that he was told by a head official a head of hockey League, that he's too young to get a, a late hit call so apparently there's a minimum age threshold that you have to meet and uh you know cam at, at age 26 apparently isn't there yet
1: yeah late hits only apply once he turned 30 i guess at quarterback but uh panthers didn't get a lot going on the ground 14 for 52 uh, for jonathan stewart not really used as a pass catcher still not seeing much from devin Funches in the passing game yet ted ginn four for 93 on six targets big game from greg olson long awaited big game uh 11 targets eight catches 134 yards and two tds if you didn't have some combination of like aj green greg olson and keenan allen you're probably not winning the millionaire maker this week
2: no I mean there were a couple other guys that you could throw in them I and julio jones obviously had another big game but it was a lot it was big games by a lot of players who were probably highly owned you know big games from big names i guess
1: yeah, a lot of really big numbers, even some of the uh, double-ups in 50-50s this week as well. Uh, with McCowan at the helm, Brandon Cook, seven catches for 79 yards, eight targets. Really not much of a difference in terms of uh, his usage or his actual results. Mark Ingram had 14 carries for 50 yards and a score. Kyrie Robinson also got in the end zone, only seven carries for 12 yards. Still not seeing much from C.J. Spiller as he continues to return from his knee injury maybe a buy low in really deep PPR leagues because if you think about it Breeze misses additional time Luke McCowan may be checking it down to his running backs on a pretty regular basis are you worried about this New Orleans team in general I guess this offense obviously
2: has been a major issue is this I mean Drew Breeze issue aside injury issue aside I mean are we seeing kind of the downfall of what has been a pretty solid you know half decade to decade run for new orleans
1: yeah i think we are i mean they're really going to miss jimmy graham as we thought when they left but especially with marcus colston just being another year older not really having um a, a freakish large receiver who can get downfield anymore they just don't have a guy like that right now i guess brandon coleman sort of fits that description but just three targets one catch for nine yards like early in his career colston sort of had that appeal brandon cooks some people thought he could be maybe an antonio brown this year and Maybe by the time the second half of the season gets here, he'll start to gel with Breeze or with McAllen, regardless of who's playing quarterback. And I just I, I have a lot of concerns here because I, I think their their defense is bad enough where they're going to have to throw it a lot. And if they had balance, I think they'd have a better chance of winning more games. I mean, they're on three right now. They've had two on the road already. Panthers at three, and zero seems like the Panthers and, and Falcons are going to be going toe to toe for that NFC South title.
2: Yeah, and it sets up a pretty interesting matchup in week four now for the Saints. They host Dallas. So it could be the McCown Whedon Bowl uh, in that one. And that's almost a toss up. I think as as bad as New Orleans has looked, Dallas with Whedon, I don't think, is going to get that kind of efficient performance maybe again this season. And then, you know, New Orleans is at Philly, home against Atlanta, at Indianapolis, the Giants. So not not a super forgiving uh, road ahead for New Orleans. And I think they could be headed kind of in the same boat as the Bears, where like, You don't think of them as that in that tier with you know Jacksonville, Washington, Cleveland, but you know they're a team that's had historic success at least in recent history, and it could be kind of a a shift in, in the direction of that franchise
1: definitely could be at this point big turnaround for the eagles though in week three winning 24 17 against the jets i mean they were up 24 7 at halftime in this game just sort of held on defensively sam bradford only threw it 28 times thanks to that big lead 14 of 28 for 118 yards a robust 4.2 yards per attempt had a td in this one Ryan Matthews got things going on the ground, though. 25 carries, 108 yards, 4.3 yards pop, also caught a TD pass from Bradford. Uh, Jordan Matthews kept in check, largely thanks to Darrell Rivas, 6 for 49 on 8 targets. And again, the volume really wasn't there, but I think it's a really encouraging sign. I know DeMarco Murray didn't play in this game, but if you're a DeMarco Murray owner, I think you're feeling a lot better today about the Eagles' run blocking, given what Matthews did in this game, than you were prior to this game taking place because you saw the gifts throughout the week plays getting blown up it looked like Tecmo Super Bowl where the opposing defense called the same play as the Eagles and everybody was getting through it wasn't a case where Murray looked slow or sluggish it was a case where the offensive line was completely overmatched in those first two games and to bounce back against a good defense like the Jets I think Eagles fans and Eagles owners have to be really encouraged by this.
2: I think you're encouraged just based on how bad the first two weeks have been, but I don't think we want to sugarcoat it and say this was a great performance by Philadelphia by any means. I mean, 118 yards from Sam Bradford, 50% completion isn't going to do it. Um, And the Matthews line is very encouraging. I mean, 25 carries, 108 yards, like you said, was able to break off a couple longer runs. But then you look at Darren Sproles, 11 carries, 17 yards for him, and he did get their lone rushing touchdown, but... I don't think the problems are completely solved for Philadelphia by any means. I mean, the the per-carry team rushing numbers still aren't great. I mean, hovering around three yards a carry. Um, And like I said, I mean, it's encouraging. This is a good Jets defense, but I think they're far from becoming a team and an offensive line that you can feel really good about.
1: Also in this one for the Jets, Chris Ivory, he was active, but he didn't play. Like, that's that's the absolute worst feeling. Whether you're playing DraftKings, you're playing season-long, you're just miserable because you think— well, he's, he's probable, he's playing, looks like he's going to be fine. He'll see 10, 12 carries at least. Maybe he splits with Bilal Powell, and that wasn't the case. It was Powell 10 times for 31 yards and Stacey twice for 3 yards, and because the Jets fell so far behind, they started to lean on Ryan Fitzpatrick anyway. Fitzpatrick threw it 58 times in this game.
2: Why Ryan Mallet threw it fifty eight times last week. Fitzpatrick's thrown it fifty eight times this week. These are not the guys you want throwing the ball fifty eight times. But two touchdowns, three picks. He always he always seems to be a guy who, if he's gonna if he's gonna get the the volume of attempts, you know, starting volume of attempts, you know, thirty plus, he's gonna give you either a couple touchdowns and probably multiple picks too. Um, he, I mean, it, it's kind of a feast or famine type of thing, I guess, with Fitzpatrick. Did you see the play in this game where Brandon Marshall attempted to lateral a ball after catching it? I, mi- I
1: missed this. I heard about this. Was, I-, I need to watch it. I need to find the gif of it, right? It was like, not
2: a good play. Brandon gonna put that out Marshall
1: there, lateral. I'm going to... Right. <laughs> yeah, it's Dead's been, Dead Deadspin asking the question, or no, Brad, Brandon Marshall saying this himself. Brandon Marshall says his failed lateral was the worst play in NFL history. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, I, I appreciate the <laughs> I fact know that the guy's that, owning it. it.
2: Yeah, I mean, great great accountability there. I don't know if it was quite that bad, but it was up there. I mean, you're at you're at your own thirty yard line
1: at the time of the snap and second quarter down seventeen, <laughs> getting up to midfield. That's 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 bad judgment. But I, I I do.
2: I am so in favor of laterals overall, though. I want to I want to get on the record and say that I think there need to be more laterals in the NFL. I think players should take a few more risks with plays like this. Obviously, you, you can't be doing it all the time, but this is a horrendous situation to do it in but if you know if you're in your own territory and you don't have four eagles defenders maybe right around you it's worth a shot every now and then
1: the amazing thing too is that if you didn't have a defender kind of like underneath him as he was going down he would have been on the ground he would have been down by the yeah. time he got that ball out but <laughs> like getting tackled onto a person prevents you from being ruled down so that that worked against brandon marshall in this what do you case. think
2: the conversation with todd bowles was when he got back to the sidelines like what do you even say to a guy i mean brandon marshall's a veteran he's not a, a rookie making a play like this it's
1: I realize my coaching experience comes in a different sport that many people hate, especially fans of football. they hate soccer um and I, I coach at the high school level, obviously not professional or anything like that so i, I you think,
2: don't you don't coach professional soccer
1: amazingly no, I do oh. not coach professional soccer in my downtime. <laughs> I got that cleared up. I, I think people were considering that as like what I actually <laughs> do that this podcast is a part time job uh, but you think about a mistake as a coach and you, you, see, you see someone come off and like Marshall knew right away players know most of the time when a player makes a mistake they know I don't think screaming in the face of a player necessarily does it if you're Todd Bowles you're just thinking how on earth did we lose the ball that way like of all the ways to turn it over how do we do that you're kind of just beside yourself it's, I get a feeling of disbelief often as a coach when something goes that wrong
2: yeah, and it, it overshadowed a very nice game for Brandon Marshall and who was having a very nice season, really, through through three weeks. Ten catches, hundred and nine yards, and a touchdown for him. He finally looks back to kind of twenty thirteen Bears, Brandon Marshall, where you know, he was he was like I always thought the best at the league best in the league at, you know, running those deep curls, you know, kinda of twelve to fifteen yards and just using his body to shield defenders, get his hands out and make catches. And it looks like it looks like he kinda of got away from that last season. Obviously there were a lot of issues there. Uh, with the quarterbacks he was playing with, but now that he's back with a decent quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick, and maybe not the guy New or uh, New York, excuse me, wants at the helm going forward. I mean, he looks good. He looks he looks back to the Brandon Marshall that we're used to seeing.
1: Yeah, it, it's I mean with Eric Decker out, especially he knew the volume was going to be there. I think he was a pretty heavily owned player uh, on DraftKings this week, and the season long value is definitely up.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Fantasy football just got a whole lot more interesting. In Week
2: four, DraftKings will be hosting another. Millionaire Maker event. This time, $1.2 million goes to first place. Go to DraftKings now. You can use the promo code ROTOWIRE. That's R O T O W I R E. That'll allow you to play free with your first deposit on DraftKings.com. That promo code again is ROTOWIRE. That'll get you free entry now with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. This is not fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. All right, so let's get into the second half of the games on Sunday. We'll start in Houston where the Texans took down the Buccaneers 19 to 9. Alfred Blue finally coming through. Not, not a lot of good things have been said about him through the first couple weeks. He's been one of the more disappointing backs, but 31 carries for 139 yards and a touchdown in this one.
1: Yeah, we're in the dumpster fire portion of the games, I think, as this pod goes. I think we're going to spend about four minutes total, maybe, on all these games. That might be a slight exaggeration, but I didn't see that coming from Alfred Blue. I think there are some people out there that were picking up Chris Polk, thinking that last week's distribution of carries was going to carry over into this matchup. An ugly win, but a win nonetheless, For Houston, DeAndre Hopkins seems to be concussion and quarterback resistant. Eight catches for 101 yards and a score on 14 targets. Welcome back to Mike Evans. Took 17 targets from Jameis Winston, but he had seven catches for 101 yards. We have a sputtering muscle hamster, which just sounds like an awful, awful thing. 14 carries for 46 yards, 3.3 yards per carry. It's been ugly for him so far. Charles Sims had a receiving TD in this one for the Bucs. I'm surprised the Texans' defense in 36 dropbacks for Jameis Winston could not sack him even once that is a big surprise for me
2: yeah absolutely and especially with the defense that we're talking about here Houston I mean J.J. Watt I don't I wouldn't say he's off to a disappointing start by any means I mean the guy's racking up tackles but uh yeah you know, maybe not not really the sack totals I guess that we were expecting and like you said especially when Jameis Winston is dropping back for 36 pass attempts um, you'd think they'd be able to get there sputtering muscle hamster i want to return to that real quickly and just make sure we never say that that's just a gross collection of words for some reason i, th- I could see that as like a local like punk band name
1: i gotta ask maria puig about that see if it is existing <laughs> yeah that might be like a malcolm gladwell blink scenario where i've heard those words yeah. in combination before because i don't know how my brain turned that out otherwise i mean that that's shocking to you could totally
2: see it. i I could see Mario be like, oh, yeah, you've, you've heard the Sputtering Muscle Hamster album, right?
1: Yeah, it'd be some kind of, like, metal screaming band. Progressive I screaming assume. metal, yeah. It'd, um, it'd be pretty bad. But. Yeah,
2: not a lot to talk about in this game. I mean, two more receivers, as, as we kind of continue the theme of how many great receivers are in the league right now that we didn't even touch on, DeAndre Hopkins and Mike Evans. I mean, I think Evans is still a little bit in his developmental phase, obviously only in his second year. But, I mean, is, is DeAndre Hopkins just about ready to hop into that uh the, that top group
1: i think he can only
2: hop into that top group if You could deandre hop up there yeah so. I, I mean he's he's kind of a victim of the quarterback play i guess maybe more so than a lot of elite receivers are um but i mean the physical tools are there he's, he's a deep threat i mean sits at 6-1 a little bit bigger even than than a lot of guys at that height a, a, just kind of an all-around threat who's taking things really the next level i guess with andre johnson out
1: gotta love that the bucks threw it at mike evans 17 times like that is really encouraging you talk about a guy that's gonna have probably a 200 yard game at some point this year it takes that kind of volume so if if winston can become a a bit more accurate i don't know how you have a hard time hitting mike evans he's probably the biggest target you could throw to at the receiver position but nevertheless uh, nice to see him back after a really disappointing week too i know uh, roto Chris Liss was among those who <laughs> saw Evans active last week, threw him in a bunch of daily lineups, and got nothing for the effort. Vikings 31, Chargers 14. This game got more out of hand than I ever would have guessed. Uh, nice little win, though, for AP lovers out there. 20 carries for 126 yards, two touchdowns. Looks like the guy he was pre-suspension. Uh, a year of not playing football certainly has made him healthy. Interesting tidbit from this broadcast. At one point while I was listening to this game, they were talking about uh, shaking Adrian Peterson's hand and how you, you, you go with the you go with a fist bump with AP just because... He's a fist bump guy? He'll, he'll, well, he'll, he, he's a strong grip handshake guy that will just crush your hand. Uh, but Dan Fouts, over the course of that conversation, concluded with, he's a good guy, which um, <laughs> I thought was kind of an interesting takeaway but, you know. for Peterson. It's kind of a strange label to put on him, but... I mean, whatever. I guess that's Dan Fouts' opinion. Uh, Vikings defense, though, looking really good. I mean, Chargers offense, to me, is one that could be pretty dangerous over the course of this year. Vikings have been much better against the run each of the last two weeks. Really didn't see much from Danny Woodhead or Melvin Gordon in this one. Gordon getting the larger share uh, of the carries. But bottom line here is that it seems to be the Keenan Allen show on offense. I wonder if it'll change after Antonio Gates returns. Of course, his suspension ends after week four. Uh, but 12 catches for 133 yards, two TDs on 18 targets. I mean, that was a good chunk of what the Chargers were able to accomplish offensively in this one. I almost forgot to mention Teddy Bridgewater, for, for a, being on a team that won a game decisively, had a bad day. I mean, if you used him in a deep one QB league or a two QB league, there's a good chance he lost this week.
2: Yeah, 13 of 24, 121 yards, no touchdowns and a pick for Bridgewater. So, you know, Minnesota kind of winning despite that. mediocre performance obviously Adrian Peterson carrying the brunt of the workload 20 carries 126 yards two touchdowns uh, one of those on a long 43 yarder the Minnesota passing game like we just said it's there's not much there I don't think there's really any receivers to get excited about Mike Wallace is fun here and there Uh, probably not the true number one guy that that they kind of want him to be I guess um, but looking at San Diego, I mean, Keenan Allen is back after a, a mediocre week two, just four or excuse me, two catches on four targets. Seventeen targets in week one, and now eighteen targets in week three. So consistency is going to be the issue, I think, with Keenan Allen. But when you're getting that kind of volume that like we just talked about with Mike Evans, it's hard not to have big performances. And you know, looking around this this San Diego receiving core, Malcolm Floyd, Stevie Johnson, you know, two guys that there's there's a bit to like there. And like you said, once Antonio Gates gets back he'll probably suck up some of those targets, but Keenan Allen is by far the number one receiver there. The only other thing I wanted to note from San Diego is Kellen Clemens entered this game late in the third quarter uh, in relief of Rivers, who left with a hand injury. Sounds like it's not too serious. Um, basically, I think at that point, San Diego was down something like 24-7, uh, to 7, and they they just didn't really feel like throwing Rivers back in there when, in what was the game where they just struggled to move the ball. Uh, but Clemens went 5-6, six, 63 yards, and a touchdown. So probably not a quarterback controversy, but... it. At least a capable showing by, by Clemens.
1: There's always a quarterback controversy <laughs> when Kellen Clemens is involved. Steelers 12, Rams 6. Steelers win this game but lose Ben Roethlisberger, as we talked about earlier. Mike Vick sacked twice with six pass attempts. Dude does not feel the pass rush very well at all. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is back, though. 19 carries for 62 yards. Rams defense doing a good job containing him on the ground he got in the end zone once also caught seven balls for 70 yards which I think that portion of his game with Vic is going to be particularly inflated I think he's going to see a lot of catches on screens with Vic at the helm
2: right and Vic hasn't been with this team very long that's that's easy that's easy to forget so not to suggest that he doesn't know the offense but he probably doesn't know it as well as Ben Roethlisberger does and you know he's not as good of a deep ball thrower as Roethlisberger that's for sure so it certainly wouldn't be a surprise to see more of those check down throws more of those short distance throws and that's really where Le'Veon Bell thrives
1: yeah I'm with you there now as far as the rest of the offense goes I think Antonio Brown's value dips only slightly with Mike Vick I mean it's a downgrade to say the least but he's still in my eyes like a top six or top seven type receiver so you're probably not flipping him right now I don't think the the Julio owner would even take Antonio Brown straight up for him anyway I think Julio's the consensus number one PPR I don't think receiver right now would you have
2: made that deal pre Roethlisberger injury
1: probably not then either I mean if you looked at it now I mean maybe do you think Demarius Thomas is better than Antonio Brown with Vic as the quarterback or do you think Manning's regression makes that a pretty even toss-up I would still
2: I would still shade toward Brown I think That, that one's a little bit closer I mean Obviously, Denver has its own quarterback issues, but I I think I would stick with Brown.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm curious to know if anyone out there is going to make a trade involving Antonio Brown, either getting him at a slight discount or trading him just to avoid the potential step back. I think he's going to be still a steady wide receiver one week in and week out, but there is... Some reason to be concerned because they may have to run it more. Maybe they get D'Angelo Williams involved again. Maybe they become a team that tries to play better defense and runs it 35 times a game when possible. I could see that being one path the Steelers offense uh, potentially takes. Todd Gurley debuted just six carries for nine yards. Kenny Britt went off. Who'd have thought? Kenny Britt, seven catches, 102 yards on 10 targets. More than half of the yards that Nick Foles threw for went to Kenny Britt. Foles finished 19 for 28 for 197 yards and a pick. Cardinals 47, 49ers 7. What on earth happened there? It was a Colin Kaepernick pick 6 show. Just a disastrous game for Kaepernick. Didn't even take advantage of it with garbage time either. I mean, that that's the worst part. Like The one thing you can look at when a team is getting blown out early and they have your quarterback that you're starting, you think he's getting 250 yards easily because he's going to sling it 40 times. Kaepernick threw it 19 times he ran seven times for 46 yards in a TD so if your league doesn't penalize the four picks it wasn't that awful of a day if you get penalized for picks it was an awful day 9 of 19 for 67 yards 3.5 yards per attempt Carlos Hyde carried it 15 times for 51 yards his role shrunk obviously as this game was out of hand not a big surprise there no playmakers right now in this offense Torrey Smith wasn't even a factor in this game. I mean, what do you make of the San Francisco team? They had the surprising win in week one against the Vikings. Vikings look like a different team each the last two games since. And the Niners have gone the completely opposite way.
2: There's not a lot to like about San Francisco, but the other way to look at this is is Arizona just this good. I mean, they've been running through everyone so far and I don't think there's much of a debate as far as San Francisco being a good team or a bad team. They're not a good team right now. You don't you don't lose 47 to 7 if you're a good team, but I think a lot of the credit has to go to Arizona for just how effective this offense has been and you know, San Francisco's another one of those teams I think you kind of look at in in the same tier as maybe Chicago and New Orleans is... Teams that you don't traditionally you, know, you have a hard time really thinking could they really go with three and thirteen or, or four and twelve and the way this is looking I mean they very well could Carlos Hyde was really the only positive in this game for them fifty one carries on uh, or excuse me fifty one yards on fifteen carries so and per carry you don't love that but still some decent production there from a fantasy standpoint um, you know if you're an Anquan Bolden owner or or a Torrey Smith owner you pretty much got nothing this week and. Like you said, if you're a Kaepernick owner and, and you do count interceptions, that's you know, you're eight points in the hole right there in, in a lot of leagues. So very frustrating performance. I actually tweeted this out during the game yesterday or right after the game. Do you know who the last quarterback was to have four picks and fewer than ten completions in a game? <sighs> wow.
1: That's gotta uh give you a
2: hint. Oh he was a I believe he was a Redskin at the time. Um Shane Matthews. No, no, this is two thousand
1: eleven. Oh. 2011 it's a name
2: that you would probably expect to be linked to a stat like this i
1: I don't know who it is who is it rex grossman oh yeah rex, rex grossman. Yeah, That that's a rex grossman sort of line yeah, for sure absolutely
2: so kaepernick moving into elite company I, I, there's a few others on the list which I, I don't have in front of me right now but they were all Rex Grossman types, so not not in exactly the crowd that Kaepernick probably wants to be lumped into with, with the game like he had on Sunday.
1: Look at Chris Johnson's line: twenty-two carries, one hundred and ten yards, two TDs. Chris Johnson is back. CJ two K, back. David Johnson only got six uh, six carries in the, or seven carries in this game, for twenty-five yards. How does that happen in a, in a game where your team is winning thirty-one to seven at the end of the second quarter, and then winning forty to seven going into the fourth? How does David Johnson finish with seven carries? That is mind blowing. The resurgence of Larry Fitzgerald continues. How about nine for 134, two TDs, and 11 targets in this game?
2: Yeah, he leads all receivers. Uh, I think I think with five touchdowns now through three weeks. Um, so just you know, pretty much reinvigorating himself. A guy is still only 32 years old, so maybe not. Maybe not quite as as banged up as maybe a lot of people expected as far as you know longevity, but. I mean he's this is probably his best three game stretch of his career, you could argue, at least to start the season. I mean, already up to, to over three hundred yards on the year, seeing a ton of targets. Um, and it's just a reminder of how good this offense can be when Carson Palmer is clicking and and when Fitzgerald is healthy. And, you know, two touchdowns all of last season, he's already at five.
1: This is again part of the late afternoon block of three horrendous games. Bills 41, Dolphins 14. Good luck with the Dolphins pass catchers. I mean, Rashad Matthews goes off in this one, and it seems like his value is up right now. But week in, week out, I just don't know where those targets are going to go and who's actually going to be the most productive of their options. Who's the first coach to get fired this season? Jay I was Gruden? just going
2: to ask you that. I, uh, well, I think Gruden is probably the, the most obvious choice. I'm trying to see when the Dolphins...
1: I think it could be Joe Philbin, too, though. I think he's like making a strong push if, into that group.
2: If they lose to the Jets next Sunday at home... They have the bye week, and then they're at Tennessee on the 18th. And as we know, teams like to fire coaches with a bye week to kind of get everything sorted out. So I think if they're going to do the Philbin firing, if they lose to the Jets next Sunday, that's when it's going to happen with that extra week to
1: prepare. Yeah, they'd be 1-3 after winning the opener against Washington, losing on the road to Jacksonville, getting blown out at home by the Bills. Bills offense, I mean, certainly more dynamic with Tyrod Taylor. That's where our interest in him came from throughout the preseason. Carlos Williams looks like a threat at running back, too. 12 carries for 110 yards, 9.2 yards of pop. He got in the end zone. LaShawn McCoy admitting that hamstring is still a problem. 11 for 16 yards on the ground. Uh, Charles Clegg, solid tight end right now, like probably a 10 to 15 range tight end, higher end of that range, probably five catches for 82 yards leading the way with a TD. Percy Harvin, the slap chop, if you will, seven for 66 on eight targets, full point PPR, seems like his value's been going up, I don't like him, but nevertheless he's getting steady work and Sammy Watkins value continues to plummet one catch for 39 yards two targets how is this not a guy that you throw the ball to at least eight times a game
2: yeah and he's kind of the antithesis of what we what we've talked about with a lot of the receivers today a guy who is probably expected maybe more so than any second year receiver to have a huge breakout year and I don't know I haven't I haven't really caught too many too much of the bills so far this year i don't know if they're i mean you look at the target numbers only two in this game and in, in a game where tyrod taylor attempted almost 30 passes which for him is probably you know on, on the upper side especially in a game like this that's so lopsided um yeah it's it's certainly discouraging and you know i don't love percy harvin's value i think he he has a tendency to vacillate you know so so greatly as far as you know big plays if, if he's not catching big plays for you uh you know downfield i just i just don't know that the value is necessarily there on a week-to-week basis this week his longest catch is only 18 yards so certainly that's encouraging and you know every now and then they get him involved in the rushing game, so there's some potential for for added bonus value there but yeah i mean going back to sammy Watkins, it it almost seems like he's the third or fourth option in this offense with robert wood seeing more targets and charles clay like you said seeing more targets as well
1: Glad I only have one share. He was on my bench. I played Dante Moncrief over him as a flex option in the NFFC. I got more points out of Moncrief, but not a situation that I'm feeling good about on a week-to-week basis. Uh, Jonas Gray had nine carries for 49 yards. Lamar Miller only had seven for 38, both averaging 5.4 yards per carry. But I, I just hate myself for Lamar Miller ownership. It's like one of the things I've done completely wrong. I only got him in one league, but I could not be less happy with Lamar Miller on one of my rosters right now.
2: And that's exactly how I feel about Justin Forsett. So oh, I think we're both in the oh, same okay. Yeah, same
1: same type of misery, really. I
2: have Blount sitting on my bench, racking e. up 28.3, Well, Forsett chipped in a nice
1: 6.9. That's tough. I mean, it, it, it was, speaking of tough, it was a horrible week for the Bears. 26 nothing. They fall on the road in Seattle. It's an outcome that we expected, really. I mean... This is a Chicago team that's been decimated by injuries. I think the coaching changes they made with Adam Gaze as the offensive coordinator, uh, with John Fox as the head coach, like those are good changes. It's going to make the team better. But Jimmy Clausen at quarterback I mean, it should not be in the league, shouldn't probably be even in the arena league at this point. Only attempts 17 passes, throws for 63 yards. He was sacked twice, 3.7 yards per attempt. Matt Forte had a back injury in this one, did return, I believe, after that happened. 20 carries, 74 yards against a defense that knew, They knew he was going to get the ball heavily, and he still actually ran pretty well. I'm actually, as bad as the Bears are, I feel okay about Matt Forte's shares, where applicable. But of course, with Jimmy Clausen throwing for 63 yards, there was nothing of value at all from any of the pass catchers. Martellus Bennett hauled in four of those nine completions for 15 yards, a long of six. Five targets in total. Just a horrible day. We saw Jimmy Graham get involved again. Seven for 83 and a TD on eight targets. The Curse Baldwin revolving door continued this week. Curse was the better of the two receivers. Six for 76 on six targets, while Baldwin had three for 35 on three. Marshawn Lynch is hurt right now. Pete Carroll says the hamstring's not much of a concern. I think he had a back injury coming into this. He gets five carries for 14 yards. Thomas Rawls, though. Over Fred Jackson, Thomas Rawls, 16 carries for 104 yards. How about that? I mean, do you think about picking him up possibly for week four in case Lynch's injury actually puts him on the shelf for a week?
2: Yeah, I think if you have an extra roster spot to burn or you're ready to cut bait with, a, with another running back that you've maybe been holding on to, I think he's worth a look, that's for sure. I mean, Lynch... Lynch came out, like, late in the first quarter for this game, Um, like, wasn't on the field at all when when the game started, kind of wandered out, and, you know, with only five carries, saw a pretty limited workload, and and they were pretty comfortable giving it to Rawls. I mean, Chicago had nothing going. I think they punted on every single drive in this game, so there was never a point where Seattle really felt threatened or felt that they needed to kind of push Marshawn Lynch maybe more than he was ready for. So, you know, I mean, if, if... if Lynch if it comes out this week you know is is still banged up Seattle has the Lions this week and another matchup you feel pretty good about and a matchup that they probably don't feel that they need to pound march on Lynch like they normally do
1: yeah I, I think they can beat the Lions without Lynch and Lions are 0 and 3 after falling last night to Denver Denver improving to 3 and 0 Broncos winning this game 24-12 pretty ugly watch to be completely honest close game for a while Denver finally pulling away late. Denver couldn't run it. C.J. Anderson, uh, I think he went through the concussion protocol. He was cleared to return 8 for 18, 2.2 yards per carry. Ronnie Hillman, 7 for 13. How about 1.9 yards per carry? Jawan Thompson suffered a neck injury, 3 for 11. He was getting a chance in close, went head-to-head, completely lowered his head, and just got drilled uh, by a defensive player. I I think it might be a couple weeks before we see him back on the field, but Stranger things have happened. I mean, Demarius Thomas had a pretty Demarius-looking game, 9 for 92 in a TD on 13 targets. Emmanuel Sanders, 6 for 87 on 9 targets. And Owen Daniels scored as Peyton Manning threw the two TD passes. But neither team could run it in this game. Uh, Kelvin Johnson, targeted 13 times, 8 for 77. Too many targets for Theo Riddick, although they really didn't have an answer for him. 8 for 66 on 10 targets. Ebron, 4 for 61 on 5. And Golden Tate, 5 for 57 on 7 I think when I look at this offense, the one guy I'm most curious about is Golden Tate. Do you look at him as a buy-low target right now, or do you think the emergence of Ebron chipping away at his targets, the health of Kelvin Johnson, and the struggles of Matthew Stafford are enough where you're not actually going to get profit if you trade for Golden Tate right now? I'm very disappointed
2: in Golden Tate's production thus far, and it is important to note that we're only three weeks in, but this Lions offense just has not looked, you, you look, you love the weapons that Matthew Stafford has around him and, you know, adding Abdullah to the mix and even the emergence of Eric Ebron. And it just hasn't translated to moving the ball well at all. I mean, it's a very good Denver defense, but still 12 points at home um, in, in a game where Stafford played reasonably well. I mean, 31 for 45, 282 yards, did have the two picks, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, Tate's certainly a buy-low candidate as long as you're not giving up too much to get him because I don't think at any point there's really a guarantee that this Lions offense finds its form I mean that they're sitting at one and or excuse me oh and three right now and in what's been a pretty disastrous start to a season I think they thought they were going to compete maybe for the second playoff spot uh, if, if there is one in the NFC North behind Green Bay and certainly that hasn't been the case so far but the big thing to me is that they're just not you know, both Tate and Megatron just not getting downfield like we expected them to, and you look at a guy like Larry Fitzgerald has eight catches already of twenty plus yards on the year. Tate and, and Megatron combined of three, so Detroit is just. And you look at the the targets in this game even. Theo Riddick ten targets, eight catches. Where is he getting those targets? You know, all within five seven yards of the line of scrimmage. They're just not. I don't know if Johnson and Tate aren't getting open. I don't know if Stafford's not giving them the ball, but they're not moving the ball in chunks like they should with the weapons they have.
1: I do think when we look at teams matching up against Denver in the early weeks of the season, we do have to think of them now as an elite defense. I mean, their pass rush is fierce, and I think dealing with that alone gives any quarterback fits. So that's going to be something we're going to see week in and week out. I mean, we saw Joe Flacco and how much he struggled in the opener. Uh, Alex Smith in that Thursday game really didn't play that well, even though uh, the he wasn't necessarily the reason why the chiefs lost and I, I think that's part of the like built-in grade here is that the lions uh, they had a really difficult matchup in week 3 the question is like how good are the vikings cuz they made that lions offense look pretty bad in week 2
2: i don't know i still i still can't get a read on minnesota i had, the fact that they were able to win in, in convincing fashion with what we said was a pretty average to below average game from teddy bridgewater is definitely encouraging but I I still am not sold on them. I think if, if Adrian Peterson can continue to be, you know, that Bell Cow hundred plus yards a week type of guy that we've seen for the last two weeks, then that maybe changes things. But I have a hard time trusting teams with quarterbacks that I don't really like. And I'm not I'm still not sold on Bridgewater.
1: Yeah, I I I like them a lot coming out of the preseason and how we finished last year in particular. So Jury's still out, really. I only have one share of him in a two-quarterback league, and I had him starting this week, so I'm a bit disappointed. But going to have to keep a closer eye on him. I, I do wonder how much their receiving core is a limiting factor, too. I, I've never liked Mike Wallace that much. And, and Charles Johnson is a guy that was an excess player for the Packers, but somehow the Browns cut him. But that I don't think the Browns cutting a player means he's not good. I think it just means that the Browns are stupid because that's what the Browns do. Nevertheless, with Bridgewater... I, I just look at him as kind of 15 to 20 among quarterbacks right now, and, and the way Minnesota is built, if they play defense the way they have the last two weeks, they're going to be protecting a lot of leads. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a heavy dose of Adrian Peterson week in and week out, and with that, Bridgewater may only throw it 25 to 30 times most weeks.
2: Is this the worst receiving core in the league? There are a few other candidates, um, but I think you could certainly make a case that this is the least productive and maybe the least talented uh re- receiving core, especially for any good team or t- a two and one team, I should say.
1: Yeah, maybe among two and one teams, but no Cleveland's receiving core. I mean, I, I think Travis Benjamin's a fun player, but yeah. I i I, I but do think like, would,
2: would you take him over anybody on this Minnesota team, or is he just kind of a fluky beneficiary of some blown coverages type of guy? Uh,
1: bear it, it you know it bears more watching. I th- I think it's one of those things where his quarterback play, I mean especially the week he went off with Manzel in week two Manziel didn't throw it that much and then with McCowan it's like can you fairly grade any receiver with Josh McCowan throwing him passes probably not so inconclusive I'm intrigued by Travis Benjamin but not enough to say that I would take him like over Mike Wallace and again Mike Wallace is a guy I've just never been that high on
2: fair enough all right anything else you want to touch on
1: no thankfully uh i think week three almost over Got the monday night game packers chiefs looking forward to that that'll be fun i think we're gonna see a good amount of offense in this one that packers defense still a little bit suspect to me i think the chiefs will be able to move it well enough to, to put up good numbers travis kelsey's the guy i think could be the, the big matchup nightmare uh for the packers because I, I feel like daryl bevel took jimmy graham out of the game in week two it was not, not the, the packers. packers defense necessarily bracketing him and shutting him down
2: right morgan burnett is out for this game correct
1: I think he I might, yeah, he is. He so is, is. That, that's like, a
2: blow. Uh, I mean, Devontae Adams is, is probably going to play, it sounds like, but he's he's still hampered a bit by the ankle. Eddie Lacy are probably going to play, but he, he also has the ankle injury. So injury issues already for Green Bay that, that could level the playing field a little bit. Um, I still think the general consensus is Green Bay by quite a bit in this one, but I would not be surprised whatsoever if Kansas City you know shows up ready to play. And obviously playing on Monday night in Green Bay is about as tough as it gets, but I don't see this being a blowout.
1: I saw I saw a report on Twitter that at like 7 a.m. this morning the Mike and Mike show was up at Lambeau Field and there were already Packer fans out oh, yeah. drinking beer. It's like, what, I'm sure. what did you expect? Like, uh, like why are you surprised by this? Line in this one is uh, minus five and a half. Of course, Packers being the favorites in this one, I, I think they win by a touchdown.
2: Yeah, I think their offense, for as good of an offense as it is, hasn't really tended to blow teams out whether they're good teams or bad teams and you know, they they kind of get they do what they need to do they get the job done and and kind of get off the field so I, I don't i don't expect a you know of green bay getting into the 40s against this kansas city defense or anything like that but i think it's a a comfortable green bay win but not a blowout green bay win
1: now like a 27 20 where the chiefs yeah. might get like a late field goal or a late td right. to sort of close the yeah, gap is, a little this is bit this a good
2: chiefs team i think that's that goes without saying i mean they probably beat denver last week if they don't have five turnovers and you know almost every single one of them being a, a killer type of turnover uh, the
1: jamal charles fumble oh. recovery td well there's yeah, I mean, that's running out the clock essentially like that mean, that's not essentially like that is the that is the one that <laughs> that really buried them in week two
2: yeah yep and obviously i had, you know some bad interceptions from alex smith there and, and a couple other fumbles so Chiefs kind of shooting themselves in the foot in week two. I think they'll look to rebound, but I think this is a buzzsaw of a Green Bay team. So I'll say Packers, I like that, 27-20 Green Bay.
1: Yeah, I think that's just that's what feels right. Travis Kelsey has a pretty good game in this one. Macklin good, at least in the full point PPR. Kind of what you expect for the most part. The only thing I'm really not sure of is how much James Starks versus Eddie Lacy do we see. with Lacy like to play? I think we're going to see a lot of Starks. I think it might be like a 50-50 split or even like 60-40 favoring Starks.
2: Well, the thing is if Green Bay does get a lead in this game, then it's going to be Starks. They're not going to throw Lacey out there to, to pound clock or anything like that. So you know if you're if you're looking at it from, I guess you probably can't make too many adjustments, but if, for some if you have Starks and Lacey and you're trying to choose which one to, to, you know to use in your lineup tonight, I would go Starks um, just because I think the upside is there for him to get kind of more garbage time carries. Um, but you know, I think they're going to, as long as the game is close, they're probably going to use Lacey in key situations.
1: Yeah, choosing between the two backs tonight is actually closer to even than you would typically think because I, I still have my doubts. I think part of the, the roster makeup too is such that they really can't have Lacey inactive. They don't have that many running backs no. available. So with that, you have to have him active, and maybe he's healthy enough to play, but you don't want to expose him in pass protection in different situations where he put more wear and tear on that injury.
2: Yeah, I think they still have Amon Green on call. He, he lives in the Green Bay area, I think about 20 minutes or so from the stadium. He's, yeah, and he's that, on call. So, yeah, he'll, he'll be on call.
1: What's Sam Congato up to?
2: I don't even know how to answer that question. That, that, that is one of the more interesting one year wonders, I guess, in, in Packer history. I'd, I will say I did see recently a, well, two notes. One, saw a Sam Congato jersey a uh, guy playing basketball at the no, rec center come on yep um yeah that, that was like, again it's not like you're just, it's one thing to just wear a samcon gato jersey it's another thing to wear it while you're playing semi-competitive rec basketball uh and in the same game uh there was somebody wearing a desmond mason bucks jersey so it was wow i've had a lot of days where i've seen some jerseys around here i mean we talked about the joey harrington sighting a couple of weeks ago i think we all remember that um but yeah i mean seeing a desmond mason and a sam congado within a half hour span of each other i just had to pack up my stuff and leave i couldn't handle it
1: no that's too much jersey overload
2: Mm -hmm. i actually did just get an email by the way real quickly um from ebay and my byron leftwich jersey will be here on wednesday so wednesday it'll be here in time for next week's podcast
1: well i mean you could if it gets here like wednesday afternoon if you had it shipped to the office you should wear it for the wednesday pod
2: i did not have it shipped to the office unfortunately um i do have a mailbox. But, yeah, I might have to run home over lunch and you know, wear, wear it for the Wednesday pod with Mike.
1: Oh, by the way, Sam Congato's a doctor. Like, he just went on to do oh. really important things oh, right. in his the life f- after playing football, which is rare. I mean, that's, it's a that's awesome. It's amazing. I love that.
2: Yeah, good for him. Wow. Played college football at Liberty? All right, at least he's not listed as Sacramento State. Like, the like half the, of those the other, default, yeah. Those, <laughs> those other retired running backs. All right, that's all we have for today. Thank you for listening to the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, we are brought to you by DraftKings.com. They are the leader in daily fantasy sports. If you go on DraftKings and you want to make your first deposit, you can use the promo code ROTOWIRE, and they'll give you a free contest entry today. Also, of course, be able to be sure to check out ROTOWIRE.com free. You can do that by going to ROTOWIRE.com slash pod. You'll be able to enter in just a, a couple pieces of information, no address required, no credit card or anything like that. Just free 10 days of access see what we're all about on our website. You can listen to all our podcasts there. And, again, that's com slash pod. Anything else, Derek?
1: Oh, no. No, it's over.
2: All right. The Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast will be back with you on Tuesday.